Hey, good morning, church. Welcome to East Bay. It's good to have you. Brave people, this is the toughest Sunday of the year. I don't know if you know that or not. Toughest Sunday to speak and to preach. And you know why? Because we're all an hour less of sleep last night. And I get a little nervous. Uh, some of you, we just sang the most exciting song in our repertoire, and it looks like um, you are still asleep. So what I want to do, how about we stand up just for a moment, let's stand up together. You know if there are people around you that weren't singing well, those are the people you have to shake their hand and try to wake them up a little bit. So do that just for a minute, just roam around, say hi to some folks, would you? Okay, if you're all set, you can have a seat. If you're concerned that you might fall asleep, you can uh, stand up and stay standing through the message. That's part of the reason why the pastor normally stays standing during the message. You know, every, every minute, it seems, is important. You know, when you lose an hour of sleep, that's a big deal. If I lose like 10 minutes of sleep, it's a big deal. You know, every... It's not only hours are a big deal, minutes are a big deal. It kind of reminds me about um, this older woman. She was in her Mercedes Benz and she was at the mall parking lot. It was around Christmas time. Couldn't find a parking space anywhere. And she just kept going all the way through all the aisles. No parking space, nothing, nothing, nothing. And finally, here's a guy coming out with all of his bags and stuff. And he ends up um, getting in his car. So she pulls up behind him. Thanks, man. She pulls up behind him and is waiting, and waiting for him to back up, and then finally, boom, you know, on comes the brake lights, and he's backing out, and he goes forward, and she puts her car in drive, and is about ready to pull in with her Mercedes, and all of a sudden, here comes these young guys in a Corvette, and they slip right into her spot. Oh, and she was so mad. She'd been waiting for minutes and minutes for that. She was so mad, and she... She puts down her window and she says, hey, what are you guys doing? And these two cocky young guys get out of their Corvette and they say, well, you know, that's what you can do when you're young and quick. So she puts her Mercedes in drive and just floors it right into their Corvette. And they said, what are you doing? And she says, that's what you can do when you're old and rich. <laughs> anyway, so every minute seems to count for us. It's not just the big hours. It's even minutes that make a big deal. And I'm so glad you're here. You know, you always wonder when you wake up on days like this, how many people are going to show up? And you guys are such an encouragement to me. You really are. I just love you. I really am excited for what God is doing here. I just want to clue you into just a couple things. Easter is coming. And our small group had a party last night. We did a couple things that are really cool for families. And I don't know if you're up to these or not, but there's two, um, yeah, that's my sermon notes. That's not gonna help you. Um, there are two craft ideas that we did. One is an empty tomb roll. And, um, and then the other is a Hill of Calvary 
uh, Easter craft, and both are so cool. And if you got kids or grandkids and you want to do something fun with them, the Hill of Calvary one you need to do within the next week because there's grass to grow, and you need a couple weeks for that to grow. And um, and then this one, the empty tomb rolls, you can do any time all the way up to Easter, and uh, because you do them right on the spot, and they are yummy. They are yummy. But there's lessons to be learned through them that we can do some guided teaching with our children. And if you want these instructions, there are about 30 of them at the information table right back here. When you leave, you just scooch back and grab one of each of these, and uh, you will have a blast with your kids, with your grandkids, to be able to talk through the Easter account with them and help them better get a feel for what really happened that special day in our, in our um, the history of the church and the future of the church. So there's those right there. I want to also encourage you, we mentioned last week, you know, um, winter's tough financially for all of us. Extra bills, the bills we normally have are bigger, and, and normally that's a time when church giving goes down, and we understand that. You know, we're not here to beat anyone up. And we were about um, $20,000 behind in our annual giving as of last week, and, um, and we have still a little ways to go. But you know what? Um, last week, we cut that deficit by a third. Cut it by a third. So I say, praise God. You know, it'd be really cool if we could just erase it by Easter and put it in the rearview mirror and just keep right on going. So, so pray about that. Let's see what God can do in our midst with our financing. And like I said, I'm not concerned about money. I'm concerned about our mission. That's the big thing. We have to fund our mission. We have to get the gospel of Jesus Christ out there. We need to help our community, our friends, our neighbors. So, so be thinking about that, and let's, let's continue to give together in that way. Um, now grab your Bible, and if you would turn to the book of Esther, for some of you who've been with us since the first week, your Bible may crack open really easily and quickly to the book of Esther. Uh, if you're newer to us, welcome we love to have guests with us and new people. If you're wondering where Esther is, you open up your Bible about midway through and you're going to find either Proverbs or Psalms, something like that, and then turn left. Start going to the, to the front and it goes Proverbs, Psalms, Job, and then Esther is right before that. So Esther, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, that's where you'll find it. If you're on your iPod or iPad or something like that, um, it's E-S-T-H-E-R, Esther, and we're in chapter 5, and the big question I want to ask you this morning is, what is faith? Really, think about it, what is faith? People will tell you that um, their faith got them through, maybe you've heard that, our faith got us through, okay, so what is faith then? Is it just believing something? Is it having the right doctrines? Is it maybe an experience I'm supposed to have? Some think it's their um, religious system, their church system. You know, if you're a product of the 80s, you know, even George Michael saying you got to have faith, you know, it's something that's supposed to be important for us all. And, and it's something though I really feel is terribly misunderstood in today's church. And it's been misunderstood for a while. Is it going to church? Does that mean I have faith? Is it claiming whatever you want 
as yours and God is obligated to pay up? Okay, I have faith that you're going to give me this, so you have to do it. Is that what faith is? Faith can be a little scary, I want to tell you. It also can be extremely exciting. Faith is where awesome God things happen that are unexplainable any other way. And and here's the reality. Even if you're so tired this morning, you can barely keep your eyeballs open. Here's what I want for you. I want you to experience true faith. I want you to have a sense of what real faith is like if you haven't already. I want East Bay Calvary to be a church of faith. So that this transitional passage in Esther teaches us something special that we can put into practice, even starting right today, about genuine faith in action. Faith the way God intended it to be. And so here you are in the book of Esther, chapter 5, and I need to get there too if we're going to work through this together. Esther in chapter 5, and I want to work through just a few passages and grab also your worship folder if you would, and on the back are some Study notes for us to walk through this period of passage together in Esther in chapter 5. And there you are. Here I am. We're at the text, so stand with me again. You know I'm going to have you moving. That way we don't fall asleep. Esther in chapter 5. I want to read just a couple verses. Where we left off last week, Esther knew that she had to go to King Xerxes. And even though she was the queen, if she walked into the king unrequested. It was Persian law. If the king didn't want her there, bam, she could be killed right like that. He would have to extend the golden scepter to her and say, yes, I want you here. If he didn't, she's gone. She's dead. She knew it, but she knew she had to go in to save the Jews. And she told all of her friends and all the Jews of the area, you need to fast with me. Fast for three days, and then I will go into the king. So here we go. The moment of truth, Esther chapter 5, verse 1. Look on, I'll read it for you. On the third day, that's the third day of the fast, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the palace in front of the king's hall. The king was sitting on his royal throne in the hall, facing the entrance. And when he saw the queen, Queen Esther, standing in the court, he was pleased with her. And he held out to her the golden scepter that was in his hand. So Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. I'll read a few more verses, get a feel for it. Then the king asked, what is it, Queen Esther? What's your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be given you. She says, if it pleases the king, replied Esther, let the king together with Haman come today to a banquet I prepared for him. Bring Haman at once, the king said, so that we may do what Esther asks. So the king and Haman went to the banquet Esther had prepared As they were drinking wine, the king again asked Esther, now what is your petition? It will be given you. What's your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be granted. And Esther replied, my petition and my request is this. The king regards me with favor. 
And if it pleases the king to grant my petition and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come tomorrow to the banquet I will prepare for them, then I will answer the king's question. Three truths to help us practice biblical faith. So have a seat. Here we go, gang. This is where the rubber meets the road. And here's where it met the road for Esther. She was in this position. She had talked about it with Mordecai. They had hacked it back and forth. What are we going to do? He said, you need to go to the king. And she was nervous about it. I can't go. I can't go because he hasn't requested for me to come. I haven't seen him for a month. She's probably wondering, where's my relationship with the king at this point? Is it going to be okay? There's 400 other women in the waiting. Are we still on good, good path and good position? And so they went back and forth, and then finally she said, you know what, I know it. I know what I need to do. And here's the first and only religious inference in the entire book of Esther, and she asked them to fast. Obviously, a very religious-based experience where she says, I, I want us to realize there's something more important to us than food here. We need help. And so she asked all the Jews, Mordecai asked all the Jews, let's go ahead and let's fast for Esther, and she's going to go into the king and talk to him, and she knew that she needed to do it. But still there was a moment, and this is the one thing about biblical faith that we need to realize, and this is your first blank there on your sheet. Faith involves action. Faith involves action. Here they were at the point, they had talked about it. They had fasted about it. But you know what? They still hadn't done anything. And we see the very moment that she exercised faith was when she took what they talked about, took what they had fasted and presented to God about, and then she still had to do it. You ever have one of those moments when you know you have to do something, but you're still just scared out of your mind? And it comes down to that very second, what are you going to do? I had, um, I've had so many of those moments, it's crazy. I remember one specifically in my mind was when um, my wife and I, we had dated for a few um, months in college. And um, things weren't working out so well, and we were wondering, you know, should we, should we be together? She, was, she actually had an old boyfriend that was trying to get back together, and, and I'm thinking, boy, how could I get rid of the guy? You know, all those kinds of things. And um, anyways... We actually stopped dating for a while. I know some people were wondering, well, how, how did it end? Well, we're married and we have seven children. That's how it ended. <laughs> but we stopped dating for a while. She moved up to Grand Rapids. I was still down in Ohio in ministry. And um, her cousin came to me and said, you know what? Um, Lisa's up in Grand Rapids and she's not with anyone. Maybe you should give her a call. Maybe you should hook up sometime." Like, I knew I wanted to. I knew it. And I was so scared. And I remember going up to the phone, and, you know, for you 
Younger people, you may have no idea how to identify because I pulled it off of the wall, the phone, and it had this cord that went all the way down and attached to it. So any, I pulled it off. I'm like, okay, I, I know I need to call. One, six, one, six. And then it goes, dee, dee, dee. you know, the number you've dialed is incorrect. I'm like, okay, shoo. And you hang up. I'm like, okay, one, six, one, six. Okay, what am I going to say? I mean, what if she's not even there? You know, what, what if her dad answers? And what am I going to do? I mean, you've had those moments, and then finally, you know, you're all nervous. You're sweating. You're feeling really stupid. So glad this isn't video conferencing. And finally, you hit that last digit. And it goes through. And then she answers. Hello. But that one moment, that one action, that one step, that is the moment of faith. That's where Esther was. Now, when we look at this, and as you see it in verses 1 and 2, we see Esther stepping into this court and the king is in there facing toward the entrance. And we don't get all of the sense of what's going on, but in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, there are some footnotes, and it actually mentions that Esther was so nervous stepping into the court of the king. And as she stepped in there, the Septuagint mentions in notation that the king initially was angry, who's coming into my court? And she, her knees just gave out underneath her, and it was like she was almost fainting and going down. And when the king saw that it was her, and her fearful response to him, that's what changed his mind, and he put out his scepter and assured her it would be okay, and then she came and touched it. But there was a moment. There's a big faith moment. And she put on her robe and she made the decision and she not only knew it and talked about it and there was a petition to God about it, she did it. She actually did it. The Bible's full of accounts like this. The Bible's full of situations where it talks about the faith moment when you not only know it in your head, but you actually do it. And there's action. In fact, there's some quotes in the Bible. I, I'm not sure if you're familiar with some of them. Let me give you a part of it and see if some of you know the rest of it. There's a quote in the book of James that says, faith without works is, is dead. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. James 1.22 says, be doers of the word. Doers and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. There's a parable of, of people with 
units of money, the talents, the parable of the talents or the bags of money. And to one, the master gave 10, to one he gave five, to one he gave one. And the guys with the 10 and the five, they took it and they worked the money and they doubled it. They did something with it. And here's the quote, when the master came back, he said, well done, good and faithful. You did something with it. And the one guy that was given the bag of money, he was, he was scared. I don't want to risk it. I don't want to lose it. And he dug a hole in the ground, he stuck the money in there, put the dirt back on top. And when the master came back, he said, here you go. I was scared I was going to blow it, but I didn't lose it. And to him, the master said, you wicked and lazy. He didn't lose it. He still had it. Wicked and lazy. The guys that did it, they did something about it. Faithful, full of faith. You did it. There's a point of action. Blondin was one of the most famous tightrope walkers of all time. Maybe you've heard about him. Maybe you've even heard this account. He had a tightrope that was stretched across a portion of the Niagara Falls. If I was ever to walk on a tightrope, I would not walk over a place where the last part of the name is Falls. With a huge crowd looking on, he walked over and back, over the falls, and thunderous applause went up from all of the crowd that was looking on. Then he went over and grabbed a specially balanced wheelbarrow and put it in the groove with that rope, and he walked across the falls and back with a wheelbarrow, and everyone applauded again. And then Blondin said, how many of you think I could do this with someone in the wheelbarrow? And everyone applauded, yay, this is great. And then he said, I think you know what he said. Who's going to volunteer? True faith is more than I know. I feel they can do it. I can pray about it. The point of true faith is action. Imagine a pastor coming to his congregation saying, how many here believe that God is still in the saving business? All the hands go up. How many here believe that the church needs to reach their community with the gospel of Jesus Christ? All the hands go up. How many of you are going to talk to someone this week about your faith in Jesus Christ? How many of you believe God can meet all of our needs? How many believe that we should give to God's work and his mission? How many are going to give sacrificially to God's work and mission? 
How many believe that God can really set us free from our sins and addictions? Amen. How many believe that one of the best paths to do that is to open up to someone about your challenges, expose them and get help? Amen. How many of you are going to talk to someone about your addiction and problem this week? And we realize and begin to see that the church today often has the right belief. I know it. However, little faith, little faith. The modern day church views that faith is passive, inactive, intellectual, it is atrophied and anemic because often it seldom steps out of their comfort zone to see God do awesome things in their midst. True faith will get us off of our sofa, out of the pew, will have you in the Bible, it will have you talking to unbelievers, it will have you on your knees, it will have you in your checkbook, it will have you in your pantry, it will have you in the hospital. True faith gets you across and around doing things that you never realized you could do, but you put action to your belief in God, and it happens. I love this quote by Chuck Swindoll. You ready for this one? He said, your faith, and it's true, your faith ought to get you in trouble sometimes. You've been in trouble lately? I mean, for good reasons. And then he goes on, if everyone thinks you're nuts, you just might be. He says, it's okay if some people think you're nuts, but listen to this, but you're probably in trouble with God if no one thinks you're nuts. Think about it. Faith is action. Here's number two. Who needed that extra hour of sleep anyway, huh? Here we go. True faith is active. And it's action. Here's number two. This is a harder one to explain, a harder one to clarify. Um, I'll give you the blank right now, and then let's talk about it. True faith is creative. It's creative. I, I, and, I, and I'll tell you where we're going with this. You find it intriguing that the king said, okay, Esther, whatever you want, up to half, your, half the kingdom, it's yours. And then she says, I mean, you think if she had faith, she would say, okay, here's what it is. Haman wants to kill all the Jews and I'm a Jew. But she doesn't say that. What does she say? She says, if it pleases the king, I've prepared a banquet for you and Haman. Now, number one, she invited Haman. This lady had some guts. Woo! She wasn't messing around. When she knew God wanted her to do something, she wasn't playing. She invited Haman to the same dinner. But, king, if it pleases you, I would like you to come to this banquet. Okay, we'll come. And then they come to the banquet. He says, anything you want up to half the kingdom. And then you'd think she'd say, you know what? Okay, here's what it is. Haman wants to kill the Jews and I'm a Jew. But what does she say? I have 
another banquet tomorrow night that I'd love for you to come to. What is she doing? Did she lack faith? Was she too afraid? Could she not get it out of her mouth? What was the deal here? And I really believe this is, this is intriguing. A lot of theologians have spent a lot of time on why she just didn't tell the king what was going on. And I don't know exactly why she went this route. My only guess is this, and I really believe this to be true. She knew her husband. And I think most women know, amen, that the, the best way to a man's heart is through his? Yes, okay, so you've heard that one too. And it's true, and my wife has my heart. You know, I say these banquets are not due to a lack of faith. But rather, it teaches us something special about biblical faith. It's not passive fatalism. Some people say, if you have faith, you don't even do anything. Just leave it up to God. Well, I don't see that in Scripture. You know, I hear even some people say, God's going to save whom he's going to save. And he'll just do it whether you do anything or not. I don't see an exception or escape clause in there. Faith isn't fatalism. In fact, if we believe that God is in this and he's going to do something, that inspires us. I want to do my best. And somehow in the theology of it, it doesn't take away from our dependence on God. We still rely on him 100%. Our good effort and creativity does not in any way take away from our dependence on God. But what he's going to do inspires us to step up to the plate and do something about it. I believe in the power of the Bible. I believe in the Holy Spirit's leading, but let me tell you, I still study for my messages. And I try to do my very best. I even rehearse my messages. I used to preach in front of the mirror. I got sick of watching myself. And now I know what you have to put up with week after week. But um, I still study. I work. You know what? The message of music is strong. And our worship team, they don't just, this is not a garage band. They don't just get up here and, hey, let's wing it on Sunday morning. These folks are here Thursday night. They practice for two, three hours. And then they get here at 7.45 a.m. on Sunday, even on the Sunday of spring forward, which was really 6.45, and they practice, and they practice, and you say, oh, well, that's just performance. Well, you know, I don't think so. I think they believe so much that God is in this thing. And they truly want people to worship. They're going to do their very best. They're inspired by God's work to do their part. I practice telling others about Jesus. I rehearse having significant conversations with people about biblical issues and belief and personal needs. We script this service order. 
I am reading my message from a manuscript. And yes, I even wrote that sentence right there. And somehow, beyond what my pea-sized brain can figure out, our creativity and ingenuity doesn't reduce in even the smallest amount the awesome power of God working in the life of someone else. Esther didn't look back at her meal at the end of Esther and say, you know what really did it? It was the two-banquet technique. Let me teach you the two-banquet. It had nothing to do with the banquets. But what it had something to do with, she knew God was going to be there. They talked about it. They fasted about it. And she's stepping out on faith, depending on him. And she knew her husband, and she put her best into it. Kind of reminds me of the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul knew the gospel. He knew the good news that Jesus died for our sins in our place. And so some people say, then just say the gospel. But you know what he did? He, in 1 Corinthians 9, he said, hey, um, when I tell the gospel to the Jews, I become like a Jew. When I tell it to the Gentiles, well, guess what? I, I, I don't adjust the gospel, but I adjust my methodology and I connect with the Gentiles. He says, to the weak, I become like a weak. To the strong, like the strong. And he says, I do everything and all of this so that by all possible means, I might save some. It doesn't reduce the gospel, but because of the awesome power of God in his word, it challenges us to do our best. And I say to people, it's okay to do something different. It's okay to do our best. It's okay to practice. It's okay to be creative. It's okay to be more effective, it's okay to improve in our delivery or singing ability or to illustrate or to plan. God lets us do that stuff and we ought to do it to the best of our ability, but never forget, and this is our final truth this morning, never forget, number three, faith is dependence on God's work. Faith is dependence on God's work. How true is the saying that your faith is never stronger than the one that it's based upon. Faith is never stronger than the one that it's based upon. If your faith is in yourself, you're going to be in for some disappointment. If your faith is in other people, you're setting yourself up for failure. If your faith is in God Almighty, well, then you're on some pretty good ground, gang. So Esther does her first meal. She invites the king and Haman to another banquet. I don't know why. She knew her husband. Here we go. I want you to do something. We're going to turn over to chapter 6. I want you to see this. I'm just setting up next week's message. But I want you to see what God did. So she does the first banquet. Says, I want you to come to the second banquet. He comes to the second banquet. We'll tell you next week what happens in the meantime, but just a little snippet. In the meantime, Haman gets so mad at Mordecai and the Jews, he had this gigantic impaling pole erected, and he was going to go to the king and say, I want to put Mordecai impaled on that pole for everyone in the city to see. 
That's what he was going to do in the meantime. Banquet one, banquet two, Mordecai, I want to kill, or uh, Mordecai, Haman wants to kill him. And now chapter six, this is what God does. Look at chapter six. I'm just going to read through it. So glance at it with me. Notice, here's the part that God does. Esther couldn't do this. Look at verse one. That night the king could not sleep. Gee, either she made tacos or maybe God was at work, folks. And so he ordered the book of the Chronicles. This is not the Chronicles in the Bible, in the Old Testament. These are the Chronicles of his reign. So he had a historian writing down all of the things that he was doing during his reign. So he ordered the book of the Chronicles to the the record of his reign to be brought in and read to him. And out of all of the Chronicles of his reign, which was about 14 years to this point, out of all of that, they just so happened to open up, and verse 2, it was found recorded that there Mordecai had exposed Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway, who had conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. Isn't that something? Just so happened the king couldn't sleep. Hey, read me the record of my reign. Oh, let's open up this big book. Oh, we just so happened to be reading where Oh, Mordecai saved your life. Oh, and then notice what the king asks. What honor and recognition has Mordecai received for this? Well, nothing has been done for him, as attendants answered. And then look at the timing. Someone's coming in the court, and the king says, who's in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court, and here comes Haman to speak to the king about impaling Mordecai on the pole he had set up for him at that very moment. Haman's in the court. Bring him in, the king says. Haman enters. The king asks him, what should be done for the man the king delights to honor? I love this. Haman thought to himself, ooh, who is there the king would rather honor than me? Remember his pride? So he answered the king, oh, for the man the king delights to honor, have them bring a royal robe the king has worn, and a horse the king has ridden, one with a royal crest placed on his head. Then let the robe and horse be entrusted to one of the king's most noble princes. Let uh, let them robe the man the king delights to honor, lead him on the horse through the city streets, proclaiming before him, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. And then verse 10, go at once, the king commanded Haman, get the robe and the horse and do just as you have suggested. For Mordecai the Jew. Isn't that just awesome? That's just awesome. And I'm going to tell you next week what happens with that impaling pole. I'll just leave you in suspense for a little bit. But true faith is dependence on God's work. And when God's in something, he shows up, gang. This could never have been scripted better. I'm going to do it. You think maybe the three days fast was too long? Maybe it would ruin God's timing? 
Maybe the two banquet techniques stretch it out a little too far and, oh, is it going to work out? And just perfectly, after the second banquet, it just so happened. Oh, and it just so happened we read about Mordecai. Oh, and Haman just happens to walk in at the same time. Okay, God's at work. We can depend on him. And when we do our part and we rely on him, our faith is well-founded. And God shows up. Let's jump to the application. Let's jump to the application. Uh, this is a phrase I love, I love, I love. I've said it here. This won't be the last time you hear it from my lips. Application. Step out on a limb. Because that's where the fruit is. Step out there. Some of us are trunk huggers. We hang close to the we hang close to the trunk. We cling to the bark. I can tell you what, there's nothing to eat there. But when we realize God wants us to do something, I know it can be scary. I know we feel that there's some risk involved. But if God wants us to do it, we step out there. That's where the fruit is. I'm going to tell you one of the scariest times in my life in ministry. When I was in New York, every once in a while the hospital would call me because of HIPAA laws. They couldn't tell me what was going on over the phone. They would say, uh, Pastor, we would like for you to come to ER. And there's a family here that needs you. And we can't tell you what's going on, but when you come through the doors, there'll be an attendant there who will talk to you and will share with you the situation. And so, you know, you never know what you're getting into. So I said, okay, I'll be on my way. And I got my stuff and I drove down the road. I pulled in the parking lot. I got into ER and the doors slide open and there's an attendant pastor come with me. And I walk over there and they, they there's this door and they say, um, on the other side of that door is a 19-year-old boy who was just killed in a school bus accident. And his mom and dad are in there with him. And they want someone to talk to them. And let me tell you, folks, I was scared out of my mind. Number one, I, it's not the most comfortable thing to walk in there with dead bodies, then not even understanding the severity of the accident. Number two, I don't know these people. What am I going to say? What would you say? 
And I, if I had known this when I answered the phone at church, I wonder if I would have skipped out. I grabbed the doorknob and I remember praying, God, I have no idea. No idea what I'm gonna do when I walk through this door. God, I have no idea what I'm gonna see and I am just gonna walk through it and I need you to show up big time, please. I remember opening the door and seeing this mother stroking the blood-filled hair of her 19-year-old son and just sobbing. And the dad was standing behind her just looking at him with his arm around her. He had no idea what to say. So that made two of us And I just walked in and I said, folks, I'm Brian from the church up the road and I'm so sorry. I'm just so sorry. And they both just gave me a hug and cried and cried and cried and cried. I don't even know what I told them. We cried together. I listened to them. I had the funeral. A few days later, I went to their home. I met the rest of their children. They had five kids. I met the rest of them. We did the funeral, and, and I was just wondering if all of that was for nothing. You know, that's just all that it was. And here's the ironic thing is two years before, um, it was back in uh, 2015, 2015, I really hadn't heard much from the family. I connect just a little bit. And a woman called the church and she said, um, my name is Crystal. You did my brother's funeral. I was nine years old. Funerals in 2003. She goes, I need God. Can I come to your church? That was a lot easier to answer than 2003. We all have those faith moments, folks. When we know we need to do something, you know it. And if you talk about it, that's good. If you pray about it, that's great. You know what? We've got to do it. So I'm going to talk to just a few of you as I finish up. I promise myself, Brian, do not go over time on the day that they lose an hour of sleep. I'm breaking my own rules. I want you, if you're here and you don't know where you're at with God, but you know you need him, you have no idea where, where are you going to spend eternity? I don't know. Are you forgiven? I have no idea. Here's your faith moment. This is your faith moment. Because the good news is Jesus Christ came to earth 
as a sinless man, even though he's God. And he died on the cross for our sin, for all the stupid stuff we do. And I tell people, it's really simple. The gospel is this. Our sin will be punished. Either we believe Jesus was punished on the cross for our sin. And if we believe that, the Bible says we're forgiven. We have a relationship with him. We have hope of heaven. Either we believe Jesus died for our sin or we will die one day and bear the penalty for our own sin in hell. It's as simple as that. Our sin's gonna be punished one of two ways. You bear your own punishment for it in hell or believe Jesus died for you and he bore your punishment for you and you're forgiven. Either one of those. I, I choose to believe Jesus died for me and I'm forgiven. And if you're here today, you don't know where you're at with God, this is your faith moment. It's not church was nice. I love the songs. The pastor was cool. That's not your faith moment. Your faith moment is to believe that Jesus died on the cross for you. And you need to right now in your heart, talk to God and say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I can't get to heaven on my own because of my sin, but I'm hearing right now that Jesus died on the cross for me and I believe it. God, forgive me, clean me, make me your kid. I am yours from here on out. That's your faith moment now. And for all those who have made that decision and had that faith moment, say amen with me, huh? Amen. If that's you, praise God. If it happened now, praise God. If it happened 80 years ago, praise God. You have to have that faith moment because all the others won't matter. You have to have that faith moment. Here's for new believers, step out, gang. Wait, what's this church thing all about? We'll find out. Join a small group. That sounds scary. I know. That's a faith moment for you. What's up with these teaching classes? Why don't you walk into one and find out? And I know it can be scary at first, but get through the door. Let God show up with you, gang. Do some faith moments, new believers. Step out there. Trust God to get you through it. And then I want to hear about it. And longtime believer, if you're sitting here, hey, I've known God for all these years. Awesome. What faith stories do you have? I say this lovingly. But pointedly, if you don't have a faith story and you don't have one in recent history, shame on us. Shame on us. We know better. I found often in ministry some of those with little faith sit back and criticize those who have it. And I say, shame on you. If people are trying to exercise faith, don't get in their way. It's like D.L. Moody was being criticized by a whole bunch of pastors because he was trying new techniques for getting the gospel out there. Some of these pastors said, what are you doing that for? And you know what D.L. Moody's response was? This is classic, ready? He said, well, I like what I'm doing to spread the gospel better than what you're not. He was such a polite man. Step out. Step out. Take a face step. 
Trust God. Do the action. Someone thinks Christianity is boring. That's not God's fault. It's ours. You can have a faith adventure every day. It's the most exciting life there is. And it starts at your faith moment when you, like Esther, you put on your royal robes and you say, I may be white-knuckled, heart-pounding, scared. God, I trust you. Here we go. I'm going to give you some faith moments. We're going to finish up. For some of you right here in this room right now, you're going to get really uncomfortable when I say maybe your faith moment as a married couple is to open up to somebody, whether a pastor, a counselor, a small group friend, somebody to open up and say, we are hurting in our marriage. And you say, but what will they think? They'll think we're less than perfect. Oh, you mean they'll just think the truth? Will your marriage ever grow if you don't take the faith step? Take it. For some of you, encased in addiction, your faith moment is to go to a pastor, a small group member, a trusted friend, a spiritual mentor, and say, I have an addiction. I am addicted to drugs. I am addicted to pornography. I am addicted to spending. And you need to talk to somebody because if you never have that faith moment, nothing will ever happen. And you can talk about it and you can pray about it, but until you step into someone's office or someone's door or have dinner with them and say, I need to talk to you. This is intensely personal, but I have an addiction. You will never, ever, ever experience that freedom. And I say, have the faith moment and watch God show up. For some of you, your faith moment is sharing your faith with your coworker, your neighbor, your friend. What are they going to think? Okay, now we're getting towards your faith moment. If you're scared, you know you're getting closer. What about being generous with God's work and with others? Yes, but what's going to happen if I part ways with my beloved money? Take a little faith step. What about the reality that God wants you in a relationship with a believer? A believer that loves Jesus. Yes, I understand that. But if I do that, then I'm going to be alone for a while because I'm with this guy who's not a believer or this woman who's not a believer. Well, you know what? Take the faith step. What about God wants me to forgive others like he's forgiven me? Or serve in that ministry or to quit that habit or start this godly habit or to help that person or to stand up and not blend in or to love my spouse even if they're not lovely or actively parent my children. Gang, there are faith moments every day. And I encourage you, take the step of faith and watch God show up. Watch him show up. Faith is action. Faith is creativity, but ultimately it's dependence on God. Would you stand with me? I want to pray for you.
And I'm not just going to ask who here has to do a faith moment. We all do. We all do. We all have to step out. We all have those decisions to make and do. Just like Esther. I want to pray for you. Close your eyes with me, would you? God, your spirit work in our church. May we be a church of biblical faith. May we take the steps necessary, things that only you can do. And God, when it happens, may we just echo from the top of the world that it's you, that you get the credit. God, there are some people right here in this room and some that are going to listen online this week. And they have some of the scariest faith moments that they are facing. Give them courage. Give them boldness to step out, to do it watch you show up. We can count on you, God, to be faithful. Like Peter, let us walk out on that water and trust you. Wherever you lead us, wherever your spirit leads us, may we do it. Follow. All of these may Calvary said. Our helping hand offering, our ushers are going to be at the door. The helping hand offering just helps us help people from our church and community with extra financial needs. If there's a way you can help with that, that's what that's there for. Hey, uh, if you're up for some Easter crafts for families, that's where that's at. And here's where everything else is at. Take a faith step this week, gang. Don't let your week go by without taking a faith step. Don't waste your week without taking a faith step. And watch God show up. God bless you. Have a good week.